Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. So today's, like always, we're going to start off by talking about the market report. And then we're going to talk with Sean from Forefront Genetics on some interesting questions that I've had asked that he's probably well more qualified to answer than I am. So cattle report today is interesting. Um, they're calling a, they're calling it a manic Monday, which the reason is, is top 25 steers and heifers are all up 26, but calves are down four. And hot 100s are up to 257, and stalkers are up to 283, but the total cattle market's down 210. So what's happening here is, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, so the stuff that's down drives the stuff that's up. So I'm not really sure what this is showing. I think what's happening is, is they're getting kind of a pile up at the slaughterhouse. And (laughs) the buyers are buying and they're not slowing down. And then they're like, oh no, we have too many animals not getting through the slaughterhouse right now. Let's slow down Ah. our buying until these animals are processed. I think that's what's going on because it usually when calves are down, your steers are down, your heifers are down. It's not calves are down and everything else is up. So it's kind of like having a sister with bipolar. Um, it's just not one of those things you want. This is <laughs> you don't not talk good. about it a lot. Yeah, you don't want to talk about it. And so today we are not going to talk about this market because it makes no sense in, in the real world. Like if you're selling calves today, I'd probably hold off for a week. But that's just me. So Lane, this is the first time we're getting to use our new phone in person. So me and Lane are at a kitchen table. And I'm not sure where Sean at. Sean, where are you at? I am currently trying to get a calf to nurse. Well, well see, see, we're all doing something d- different and fun today, all at the same time. <laughs> so, um, what we're going to do is, is Sean, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and kind of what you do, and then we'll start going into some fun questions and have an interesting discussion. Okay. Um, so, like you said, I'm Sean Powell. Um, so I came up to school at BYU-Idaho and got a bachelor's in animal science. Uh, in the course of that, I, um, took a lot of reproduction classes. I focused mostly in reproduction, uh, for my bachelor's. Um, and then I was able to, uh, my uncle is Carrie Powell. So, uh, he, uh, started off at BYU, uh, in the eighties, flushing uh, cattle down there and doing a lot with their uh, dairy animals and that program before he went to California and flushed cows uh, completely uh, for a living um, down at uh, Artemis and in the course of that he eventually uh, saw an opportunity to come up here to the university in Rexburg and teach uh, and so I took most of his classes, um, and then he had an idea come, oh, 2010 that, uh, he wanted to quit traveling so much on when they flushed cows. So he decided to, uh, get partner up with me and my dad. And we started, uh, bringing animals to our facility here and taking care of all the shots and giving all that. And so I kind of had a, a long apprenticeship, I guess you could say, in flushing cows. So for several years, I went with him uh, down to Utah 
to do other people's animals and then um, did animals here. And that provided me a great opportunity to to learn and improve my skills before I actually ventured out and tried it on my own. And so we've been running Forefront Genetics uh, ever since then. And uh, it has shifted mostly from, uh, I would say we were about 90% dairy when we started. And I would say we are flipped her all the way around to we're about 90% beef in, in the embryo world from what we do. Um, I guess in the course of that, I have um, done some IVF aspirations. Uh, I did it for about six or eight months um, and was fairly proficient at it. I just didn't have enough clientele interest in it to pursue it full time. So I guess that's kind of what we do. I also do, as Stephen has mentioned, right, we run a dairy, a hundred head uh, milk herd on the side while also farming about 750 acres in the Rexburg area and the Mudlake area. And now you're a professional Wagyu embryo implanter, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was laughing a little bit about it the other day. He He's put in more than most people I know. So what's funny is you answered one of the questions that we had the other day already. Remember when we talked about uh, Sean's herd and yeah. how many dairy cows that he had? I was pretty close. You were pretty close. So And, and I'd never asked him. So I, the other day I showed up because I, I had to pick up a bull and drop off something I'd borrowed from Sean. And I finally go, Sean, how many cows do you actually have here? <laughs> So, so Sean, one of the questions that I was asked not too long ago was that what is the best time to flush cows or is there an optimal time versus an unoptimal time? And how, how do you distinguish those times? So the best option, um, the, on the first side I get on age um, if you're doing IVF, you can get down to that nine, 10 month age. Um, I prefer if you're doing conventional flushes that the, the heifer is at least 13 months of age. Um, so that kind of gives you a, a bottom end. Um, they're really only about 25% of them work if they're 12 months. Um, really none of them work if they're 11. Uh, so it, you need that 13 months of age. Um, and then on the, I guess as after you've had a calf, um, we don't like starting anything. And so starting the protocol, so realize there's 16 days worth of uh, setting synchronization and setting up everything. So we don't start anything till about 45 days post calving so that you're flushing sometime around 60 days. Um, that being said, there's also um, some considerations uh, with your program. Um, if she calved in July and that 60 days is, you know, right in the middle of August, um, you're probably not going to have good success. The thing you need to recognize with, uh, with the embryo development is the embryos they're producing right now are going to ovulate in six weeks. So if they're having a major, uh, stressor, whether it's heat or really cold, or something right now, um, it's going to affect them in six weeks. But that can also affect them any time during that six-week period. So if you 
are have some really good temperatures and all of a sudden it's 103 and high humidity, um, that's going to affect it even up to the day of flushing. Okay, so Sean, here we are. We've had a beautiful fall, uh, very mild temperatures. Then all of a sudden this week, temperatures dropping down to low 20s, um, maybe even high teens in the evenings, in the early morning hours and things. Is that enough of a temperature drop or are you talking about that would affect the cows say, so differently late. from... This week from last week. So, Lane, one thing you have to keep in con in, into context: cows do better at colder temperatures than hotter temperatures because of the yeah. rumination. So, usually your major stressors are heat. Okay. You can have so, cold stress, but heat is the big one. Go for it, Sean. If you're, yeah, if you're talking on the cold side of things, um, I'm talking more like that January uh, that. 10 below that 20 below kind of stuff that they're just shivering and cold that it comes um, in for two weeks too. Like it just holds. Yeah. Um, the stuff that we had, I mean, our barn, we haven't even closed things up. I mean, the cows are still out lounging around out in the sun. They're just, they're loving this temperature. This is perfect for, for cattle. Sean, me and you talked about this a month or two ago that you, this is your favorite time to put embryos in in your herd because it, they seem to stick better. Yeah. So we we just barely got done. Um, well, we're still in the middle of it, but <laughs> we had 40 calves. So we're only milking 100 cows. So we had 40 calves um, through, the, through October and the first half of November. So that kind of, if you look at it, you're talking, uh, breeding it, you know, in December and, uh, getting into January, but those are the, where everything took. And it's real cyclical in our, we can see it in the dairy herd where, um, you'll get nothing will pr get pregnant and then the temperatures cool off, cows are feeling better. And then everything starts picking. And, and you've seen some cool, uh, disasters, I guess let's call it that disasters in your time doing this. Um, is there a time where you just tell people to go to IVF as a safer option to what they want to get done? Um, yes, I, I just had a, a client that, um, due to time constraints, uh, they were trying to get some cows, uh, get some embryos in this year. Um, and due to their other ventures, they had to have something that they could get it done right away. And so we had to say, well, you know, we need to be flushing these cows in August and the first part of September, and this is really not going to work. We, you know, had high temperatures. So we did end up doing, um, some fresh IVF transfers and which, uh, worked out better to, to get some embryos, able to get those cattle in the time frame that he needed and so um again it's the the ivf work was a great option um they they don't have as much heat damage um as if they were conventional flushed so, so there are options and that's where i tell people i go i i choose not to do a lot of ivf um just because i don't like the conception rate and the cost 
But at the same rate, there are times when everyone should look at it in, in a situation like this where they need them during the hot of the summer or they have a cow that doesn't work. That's where IVF comes in for a lot of people, I think. Like we had that cow that she was old enough that the only way we did. Right. Right. Yeah. And Sean, Sean and them tried to do a conventional flush on that 767T cow and they, they went for nil. <laughs> yeah. She I remember that. She didn't respond at all. Right. I remember that. <laughs> and then I roll her down to IVF and we got 10 to 12 um, every two weeks. So it, that's what I'm saying. Cow, some cows, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but some cows do work better under IVF standards. Yes, they do. So, and go for it. For whatever reason. <laughs> and that's the thing. And I tell people, I go, you, you, who knows? Who knows the reason? It's just the fact that that's the way she stimulates the best. Um, Sean, have you heard, I, I just was asked this, this question. Um, what does it mean that my, my, my cow's ovaries feel small when my collection agent goes and does collections? So when you're going to collect on just the aspirations or on? No, on conventional. I get So I, I had to call in and clarify a few things on this. That's why I'm asking it. So a lady had some cows and they are second calf cows. They're not even Wagyu cows. She listens to this anyway, but I, I felt, I felt like this was important. So whoever did her collection said that the cow's embryo or ovaries are too small and they're not going to be suitable for collection. And I was going to leave you with that. Is that something that you see from time to time? Um, yes. So what he is probably feeling is he's going in there palpating the ovaries. Um, and they consider it what they call NSS, which means there's no significant structures. Right. Um, so when you're feeling these ovaries, you're feeling, okay, this one has a follicle, this one has a CL, this one has a CL that's called a corpus albican that's actually regressing. In other words, they're, they're cycling. And if they have really small ovaries, um, they're not cycling and they're not responsive to the hormones. Um, this can be a number of factors. You can be um, that they're too close to the post-calving. Um, it could be uh, they had a uterine infection in there that kind of putting off some off hormones. So the ovaries are saying, well, I'm, I'm pregnant. I don't need to be doing stuff. Um, there's, there's many different things. Um, and I just had one of these just the other day. And what we did to kind of get that, what we're hoping to get over is we're, we're just running a, an off sync protocol with a cedar um, that gives her kind of all the hormones to hopefully, you know, start up the engine, jumpstart it and get things going before we actually make the commitment for the, the flush. And that's what I assumed and explained to her. Um, but I figured I'd let, I'd let the expert give us our expert opinion. So um, the next one is, here you go. This is going to be a tough one, Sean. And you had to explain this to me like three and a half weeks ago. So you, I know you know the answer and it's easy. Cystic ovaries. What are the common ways that people have to deal with a cystic ovary? The ways to deal with it are pretty simple. Um, 
<clears throat> Again, and and what? so and will it make their cow infertile having a cystic ovary? Okay, for us newbies, explain first exactly what a cystic ovary is. There you go, Sean. From the beginning. Okay, from the beginning. Okay, so a cystic ovary is um, there's a, a structure on there. It's it's called a cyst. And what it does is there's two different types of cysts that occur on the ovary. Uh, one of them is called a follicular cyst. So if you're ever out there and your cow is just, she's in heat, and then four days later she's in heat, and then four days later she's in heat, um, she has this uh, cystic ovary on there, and what it is is she's never ovulating it. So her estrogen level is just high all the time. So every three days she's peaking again on that, that, uh, that estrogen trying to be in heat. So that's one version. The other version is what they call a luteal cyst. Um, and that is, uh, luteal tissue has formed on that ovary and it keeps them out of heat. So it's like, I never see a heat on this cow. I saw it once and, or I don't ever see a heat. She just never comes back into heat. This, uh, cystic luteal cyst is actually keeping her from coming into heat. Um, and so the best way, if you are doing for a, I guess the quickest way possible, you could give her one shot of a GnRH product and one shot of a PGF product. What is um, the response the time on that though, Sean? Like, when you say quick, what does quick mean? Like, you could give them the same day. Like, if you didn't know, you could give them the same day. Again, I like that off-sync protocol. Because yep. um, that'll, you know, you, it gets the, the hormones there. You're given the, uh, all the correct drugs to knock off one of those cysts. Um, and it kind of resets the system, I guess. And that means that there's a possibility that their cow will be just fine afterwards. Yeah. And I, I go for it, Sean. I, I've done some where we've actually done an off sync protocol with a cystic cow and they've bred right up to that next heat. It's about making sure so, they have the right hormones in their system to be able to function in, in essence. You know, if you want to yeah. take this down to the most basic level, it is, these animals need a certain amount of hormones and in a certain arrangement so that their cycles complete. And with cystic cattle, that's, that's the, I've only ever had one in all the years I've ran cows. I've probably had more and they've probably ended up going to the cell back when we were doing a lot of commercial cows. Um, but in the waggy world, I've only ever seen one and it was, I don't, I don't even know if I can say it was it was her fault. We were asking a lot out of a cow, and she ended up pulling a cyst on us. But that's that. It is what it is, uh, Sean. So in in your world, um, ideally, how many times um, can a, can a cow be flushed without having detriment to her long term health and and ability, like? If someone was going to flush a cow consecutively. Consecutively, like in 
like weeks every or days, tw- every twenty eight days or thirty every, days. Every thirty days, okay. Yeah, because remember, Sean, well, Sean's got a, a yeah. shot cycle he has to maintain. Yeah, we we do them every thirty five days, so it's on a five week interval. Um, it really depends on the animal. Um, as we've talked before, the if you're you know this cow's usually at at twenty, and now she's struggling to get five or six, you probably need to, you're probably already past that point. So you need to watch their tapering off. That being said, um, we had a Jersey cow up here that we flushed for over a year and she had still not dropped off (laughs) in her production. The guy finally was like, okay, I got enough embryos on that cow. Let's bring her home and get her bred up. Um, so there's kind of a range, a big range that's depending on each animal. Um, just keep in mind, the more frequent you do it, um, we have to realize that the hormone that we are ovulating, you know, super ovulating them on is porcine. And so it's, it's pig FSH is the best source that we have found that's out there to, to stimulate these cows. Um, in large enough quantities and they eventually what happens is is the animal herself recognizes that as a foreign body that it's something that she didn't produce herself and so she builds up antibodies to uh to the to the fsh in her blood system and so it's just constantly fighting it and so the more antibodies she gets there FSH that's in her bloodstream. So I have a question. You said that um, there's a point where you recognize there's a reduction in productivity and embryos or, or whatever. Um, can you stop at that point, wait for the next season, and they're back up to prime capacity again? Or once you hit that, they're on the downward slope yeah so the biggest thing to do is to to give them a break um that could be anywhere from you know given that six months you know so we flushed her january february march uh and april and then we're like okay we give her a break we'll start her again come you know november when it cools back off um that's typically the best time that i recommend we you just breed them up. Um, that does one of two things. Um, it, it reduces the level in her blood system because she's carrying a calf. And so she can carry a, a long time and have a big, you know, nine month break there. The also benefit is, is um, as Stephen has said, that we're not very good at just maintaining or reducing. You know, you want to maintain the weight but you don't want to really reduce it because that they go into anestrus. And so you want to maintain their weight, which usually means they gain weight because they don't have any energy requirements. Um, and you can get the calf out and cause an energy requirement to, for that calf nursing on that cow to kind of bring, help bring her weight back down. Sean's being very nice. I bring him nice fit women and he brings me back big old gals. <laughs> and then we have to put them on a diet. Yeah, while they're pregnant. So, yeah, yeah. So 
we we know your tricks, Sean. You're you're contributing to uh, gestational diabetes, Sean. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that gives it, you know, like you, that gives you an opportunity to put her on a diet, correct? Because she, she she really doesn't need a whole lot of energy requirements. She doesn't need to be cycling. She's growing a calf inside of her, which is pulling some, but she doesn't need a huge amount she of energy. Need to, the, Pow, she doesn't need the pow ration anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. So and, we call it Jenny 20 when they come home. <laughs> and and we're, then I, we're working on it. Then I add another zero on it. Jenny 200. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, though, is, is Sean's key there is, is he's trying to keep them on a nutrient uptake so that they produce a lot of em- produce as much embryos as they genetically possibly can. Right. Um, and, and it makes sense why he does it. It's just fun to tease him, tease him a little bit yeah. about it. And yeah. then I show up and he's like, see, they're not gaining too much weight. <laughs> well, and I guess I, I've heard the horror stories on the other side that I've, I've heard of, a some places where they were collecting them and you know, their numbers started to diminish on their production and the owners went to go pick them up and they're like, that's not my cow. My cow <laughs> weighs 400 pounds more than that cow. Where, where'd my cow go? And that's a bad day right them, there. Yeah. It took them two months to get them back up high enough, you know, pour, pour the feed to them two months to get them back up to where they started cycling again, to where they could even get them go bread. back to production or even get them bred. Right. At that yeah. Point. And, and so you, you, you don't want to be on that other side either. Right. You know, and, and I told, I, I told somebody the other day this, I go, you know, f- even if they show up overweight, I know how to fix that. Right. And, and, and that's what you guys need to remember is I hate to say this, but you, you need to be good cattlemen. If you're going to be running an embryo program, this is my favorite question I got, Sean, just so you know. Okay. Does it matter what I feed my cows? Does that affect the way the embryos are made and produced? <laughs> well, it can. <laughs> um, just like you don't want to feed a whole bunch of super moldy hay to your pregnant cows and create vomitoxins and all that stuff, um, you want to have a good balanced ration. So in that ration, you're going to want... Um, some fiber so that they feel full. They're not out there bellering all the time. Um, they want to make sure that it's good enough energy that they're going to be able to maintain their weight. Um, so feeding them just straight barley straw, it's going to keep them full, but they're not really going to have the nutrients they need. Um, and then they also need some, um, we like to do mineral lick tubs, have access to that. Um, if you have a TMR, you can do powder or whatever, but, I agree on the tubs. Uh, that's definitely my favorite way. Cause that way, if I have to add any protein, I can. Yeah. So you want a good balanced diet, you know, again, we're trying not to balloon them, but, um, and what we've done, um, is sometimes if we're having a little trouble with a cow, um, we'll give her some multi-min 90, uh, just to kind of cover the basis. Yeah, but um, Sean, those those mineral tubs, they're expensive. How can you expect a poor rancher to be able to 
buy them all the time and supplement their feed. That's just, how's that going to affect their ROI? <laughs> well, if mineral lick tubs is what's keeping you from doing an embryo program, um, you need to look at the other side of things and recognize, okay, what am I selling these animals for? Uh, what kind of animals do I have? And are they going to uh, produce the income necessary on the other end? Um, that's what I kind of tell everyone is like, I, we can reproduce this cow. You just have to make sure that your marketing is good enough that it, when you get to the other end, that you can pay for it. But if, if mineral lick tubs are holding you, that's what's too expensive for your program, uh, you probably shouldn't be in the embryo transfer business. So, nice. so Sean, you would be surprised how often people ask me that exact question when they see us rolling in all our tubs. <laughs> how can you guys afford to feed tubs? And we just tell them we can't, we can't afford not to feed the tubs. Well, <laughs> I'll put it this way. So I'll, I'll throw out some, just kind of some generic numbers on, uh, embryo transfer. So you got a donor in there. Um, and so you go in there and give her hormones um, a bottle of FSH runs you probably about 250 for a 20 mil bottle. So we're, um, what we usually typically use is about 14 cc's of that. So you're around $200 just in FSH. Um, it's going to cost you somewhere around, um, 175 to $200 to, to flush that cow. And then, you know, there's usually a per embryo fee. I'm just going off of kind of what we do. Um, there's a per embryo fee, and so you sound like you're um, uh, upselling, Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's where but Sean gets it, you. Just so you know, the embryo count fee. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to make some money somewhere. So, like, you know, that's two hundred dollars, two hundred bucks on like a flush. The the practitioner is just covering his cost. Yeah. Just his supplies, the flush medium, the filters, the tubing, the catheters, all the little, you know, pipettes, straws, all that stuff. You start adding it up, kind of like a butcher shop. It just adds up a little bit by little bit until you're like, man, why am I spending so much money? Well, and, and Sean, how much were your freezers last time you you picked one up? The the freezer I bought? Yeah. Um, it it. Uh, runs eight thousand. So you you have to do, you have to be able to make the money back on that, right? Like people need to realize the technology that's involved in this, plus the supplies, is where the cost is. Yeah, and and that freezer. So eight thousand was we bought it, and then they want another three to four hundred dollars a year to calibrate it to make sure that it's doing to maintain what it's it. To. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, and that's what people forget. Like, and I think that there's a big disconnect between the people collecting the embryos and the person owning the cow. Um, somebody told me the other day, they're like, "Oh, my embryo guy barely like talks to us unless he's actually collecting our cow," and that that's due to personality, right? That's due to a lot of different things. Um, I am lucky that I can just go hang out at Sean's when he's there 
Or if he's not, I'll go look at the cows and I'm there either way. The well, last time I was there at the collection, right? Yep. So he's he's collecting and things and and he's a busy guy. I mean, he's concentrating, he's making sure everything's in place, everything's feeling right and stuff. And here's this sixty-eight-year-old man asking him all these stupid questions and keeping him from doing his work. <laughs> um and he was very gracious and answered all my questions and things, but I do feel like you probably could have got the job done a lot quicker had he hadn't been paying attention to me. Probably. <laughs> but, yeah. but he was so kind to answer my questions that I had. and um, That's why we like going well, to Sean. <laughs> well, I, I, I like the... And... I, I'm, I know I'm not, I'm a terrible businessman this way, but I, I actually talk a lot on the phone to people just answering questions. And it's not always about, um, flushing cows. A lot of times it's, Hey, my cow's not cycling. Why, what do I need to do to get her to do this? Or, and so I do a lot of consulting just, and, and I enjoy letting people know, try and help them figure out their problem. And, and cause because if they're afraid to ask questions, then I'm going to, when I show up, there's going to be a train wreck. Oh boy. And, and I'd rather avoid that. And then you get me, you're like, oh, it's okay. These dairy cows are all, this is what you do. And I go and take care of them and then they don't look right to me. So I'm calling Sean on the phone going, Hey, something's not wrong with, wrong with this cow. <laughs> <laughs> she eats and eats and eats, but never gets any bigger. <laughs> yeah. That kind of was her genetic. <laughs> but, but, yeah, well, and that's, and, and that's, you know, that's what I'm saying though, is like, you, you've got, if you're going to be in this industry a long time, you're going to have to help people because it'll help you out in the end. Like nine times out of 10 people that I help out end up helping me somewhere down the road. Um, and that's, that's good philosophy you should have just because there's so few cattle guys around and well, there's getting and, few of us. <laughs> and it's harder, you know, from what I've noticed, like, if you don't know what you're looking for on the internet for information, it, it makes it a lot harder to to find it. If you have a guy that's constantly doing it and you know, there's there's a hundred different tips and tricks that I do while I'm flushing that the new guy that just barely started, he's gonna have no clue on you know, okay, well this this went wrong here, how am I supposed to fix that? And that's just something that comes with experience and being able to kind of pass that on and say, Hey, you know, you got to watch this roadblock and it, you'll go a lot smoother if you can avoid that. And one thing too, Sean, I was telling somebody this the other day, they're like, what are you going to do when Sean retires? I go, well, luckily me and Sean are close enough in age that I'm not going to have to worry about Sean retiring on me. Now my kids might be screwed, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, in your world, how hard is it to find someone that's willing to come in and learn and be an apprentice and do those things? Uh, is it hard to find people like in every other industry or is it just finding the right person that works with you? Um, I think it's kind of hard just because, um, it's just like any skill thing. Um, not everyone's cut out to palpate cows. Um, whether it's, um, 
my uncle just had one that uh, they were trying to learn to breed cows, and he finally had had to say, uh, "This class is not for you. You know, you better just his build and you know just the way he was doing things. It just wasn't quite going to work out for him. And there's a lot of things and I've been pretty fortunate on how I picked it up and being able to do it. But, um, it's, it's kind of hard to find a, a guy that one can palpate and pick it up and pick it up quickly. Um, but two, to, to find one that wants to, to stick around. <laughs> it's like anything else. Um, you'll probably end up having one of your kids do this at some point in time, Sean. That's what I've always gone with. <laughs> Sooner or later, he'll he'll con one of his daughters into staying and palpating cows. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so Sean, here's another question that that was sent that I I actually didn't know how to answer this one, and because I'm guilty of it, that's why I don't know how to answer it. How does the quality of semen affect the flush versus AI? So, well, to answer that question, um, so what normally happens when you breed a cow is there's little microfilaments in the uterus. And so, like, they kind of coax the semen and kind of help them up their journey, kind of do a waving motion, and they (laughs) kind of wave them up. And then after so long, they say, okay, the semen's up there, the the oocyte's been fertilized that kind of flips back around and starts kind of brushing the oocytes back down to the uterus. Um, when we superovulate a cow, they, the signals get kind of jumbled. And so some of them are pushing up and some of them are pushing down. And so it, it gets a little bit chaotic in there, I guess is the best way to say it. And so um, they have you know, at least in the dairy world, they have what's called uh, superior breeders. <laughs> um, and they found that they're, for some reason, the, the sperm is more um, lively, is able to, to swim faster, harder. And so they, they breed more cows that way. And typically those animals, those bulls will flush better. Um, I've seen it for many times that, you know, this cow, we have no problems when we AI with it. But when you go to the embryos, you know, with everything just being jumbled up just enough, um, it doesn't have the virility to, to make it there. And so you get a lot of unfertilized or some of, along those lines. So, Sean, I I do a little bit IVF, right? Just a little bit. Yeah. Do you know some? there's some semen out there that... They absolutely hate using IVF, both Bovatech and Transova. And we make pretty decent flushes with it. Guess which one it is? Which semen? Yeah, which semen? IVF, they struggle to get them, get them to conceive in, in the Petri dish. So MasterChef semen so far has been subpar in the IVF game. But we've had some great flushes on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. We just barely had one. Yeah. Dean was telling me about that, um, last week when I was talking to him, he's like, master chef, we just can't get the numbers. And I'm like, dude, so I've heard, and this is just a, for instance, that Katsukari Siemens the same way. It, it struggles on IVF, but it does great in conventional flush. Does the quarter CC straw have anything to do with that, Sean? Um, the, the industry is kind of going more towards that quarter CC straw. Um, they put the same number of sperm in there, but they're getting a quicker uh, thaw on them, getting them going from freezing to warmed up, I think is what part of it. Um, for the most part, uh, I've had guys that are worried that, Oh, they're in quarter CC straws. And I'm like, man, that's like all the dairy semen comes in that. <laughs> well, and, and almost all the Wagyu semen I bring using quarter CC straws, at least any of the Australian yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so it's I, more, a smaller size straw. So it's more condensed, condensed, it, so, so same the, number of cells, but more condensed dairy. Right. Where they're going. The theory is, is that they can get more, more semen in a cane because they can stack it a little differently. I'm not sure if I believe it or not, but that's just what I was well, they're, told. They're, they're smaller goblets. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. They're, they're, they're trying to compact this. So, Lane, a couple of months ago, I sent Sean a new article. It's like, I'm always reading articles. You know right. that. All the time. And Sean reads quite a few articles. So I sent him and his dad uh, the freeze-dried semen article out of Japan. Don't have to freeze it, Lane. It's freeze-dried. Think about how that would change this industry overnight. I don't know what you'd do with all the old semen, but <laughs> the freeze-dried stuff would be nice. You keep it on your dang counter if you wanted. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, I, I it's so you just reconstitute it, just add water? They do. They actually, it's a, um, an extending medium they use to reconstitute it. It's not water, but, right. yeah, it's, it's literally reconstituted um, and put in. That's, that's wild. That is wild. <laughs> So, so Sean, um, I was talking to Dean and Bovatech has figured out how to not only cut, but to refreeze semen straws or re reseal semen straws. Do you, do you foresee any problems in that? Um, I guess a little, but not, I guess I've seen them cut before, but they just didn't reseal them. I just, um, there's probably a little bit of damage right there where you refill it. Cause right. I would think there'd have to be some heat involved. Um, and as we know that anytime you warm things up and then cool them back down, the ice crystals in the straws shift, which is why you're hopefully everyone out there is taking notes and not pulling out their, their straws, <laughs> looking at them, throwing them back in the cane and going, Oh, it's still cold. No, it, it just shifted the crystals and broke the tails off the straw. Yeah, but, good, good job so you I, ruined your semen. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of drives me up a wall every time I watch someone pulling straws out with their fingers and putting them over in a different cane. I'm like, hey, let's pour out some nitrogen. Let's just take a few minutes. This stuff that you're giving me, I don't want it dead when it shows up when we go to breathe it. My, my favorite part is, is when Sean helps me with my tank, I usually find freebies. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's like, this is the cane number. I'm like, are you sure that's the cane number? <laughs> 
Um, last time I found a bunch of cool old school black stuff. So it's like Christmas for me when Sean helps me with my tank. So Sean, um, Dean was saying that they got 123 oocytes fertilized with a third of a straw of Sabrusha last two weeks ago. And then they were going to do it again this week. They were hoping for about 100 oocytes. And he wanted to see what the difference was going to be from the first to the second with that cut being the cut and seal beat going on. So I will report back to you next week when we know. That'll be good to know. Yeah. It's kind of a cool thing. And it, it, really, I think it's a way to extend some of the semen a little bit. Uh, you'll never see me do it, but. <laughs> well, and I can it's see interesting some, to know, right? Yeah. I can see some advantages to that. Cause if, um, one of the things like, uh, if, if you've been around long enough, you've been able to see straws blow up or blow out of the water or embryos blow out of the water. We had some Hikari um, semen do that to you, if I remember right, earlier in the year. Yeah. It, <laughs> it scared my dad because it bounced all over the room as it shot out of the, the, the straw. And as I've been reading more about that, um, so what it is is nitrogen is getting in either the PVC powder or they get a little air pocket. And so when that nitrogen goes from liquid to boiling, that's what expands rapidly when it hits that water, and that's what causes them to jump out. And so being able to, to seal and crimp that off so that that nitrogen's not getting in there, um, I could see it being a, a benefit to making sure that the next use is, is good. Yeah, I think that it's going to be a wise thing. I guess... Somebody told me the other day that I look at semen the wrong way um, in this industry. I got all my stuff pretty cheap. Let's be honest about it. I'm I'm been in this long enough that I got all of my stuff at a very reduced rate from what people are paying today. But, um, geez, what was it? Two years ago, I was having you AI with MasterChef semen at $5,000 a straw. I, I just don't see semen the same way everybody else does. I don't buy it to resell it. Now, someone who gets real leery about this is Sean's dad. <laughs> what? You have what in the tank? <laughs> yeah, he, he just he doesn't want any tank went dry. There's forty units of Master Chef in there. Like, oh, what? <laughs> that's why. That's why we fill them completely full every single week or two weeks, once a month when, when they're at your house. That's why our tents are always on the full side. And we only have really what you're actively using. Like they were going to be using this, you know, we pulled out, you know, 20 units of this bowl where we know we're going to use it. Um, It's not the, the deep storage stuff that, no, we're keeping here. No. And, and I will tell you right now, I had Sean pull some cool deep storage stuff for me and make some stuff not too long ago. Um, I need to go get it picked up and shipped off, but I will tell you guys, like I do house a lot of embryos at home and a lot of semen, but I also have a backup plan and a backup plan and a backup plan. We're at five facilities right now, not counting my home facility. And, um, embryo storage is not cheap people, especially when you start getting a lot, but I use that as my savings account. 
That that right there is my savings account in case anything ever goes bad. Because at least I have that to rely upon. Um, is there stuff in there that probably I could cash out and make a couple million dollars pretty quick? Probably. But I don't do this for myself because I'm I'm thirty I'm thirty six. At thirty six, you're pretty much done building your own empire. The empire you're building now is for your kids to have when they're old enough to take it over. So that's the mentality I have right now is we're building this business for the kids. So I, Lane says, well, Lane's kind of a hoarder of stuff and I'm kind of a hoarder of genetics. (laughs) He just hasn't figured that out yet. Oh, I knew that a long time ago. The only difference is, is I keep my stuff in tanks and he keeps his stuff in his house. <laughs> oh right? That, that's the only difference, right? And, and I've been helping him become less of a hoarder. And he's not even a bad one. Like, we would call him a stage one hoarder. Stage one. <laughs> right? Like, like every other old dude, you know, he keeps stuff because he's going to fix it one day and it just never gets fixed. And then the day we throw something away, we need a part off of it. I, I swear, every time we throw something away at Lane's, the next day I need a part off of what we threw away. <laughs> and I, I told you we shouldn't have thrown that away. <laughs> now we're going to go buy a new one. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, one day we were at the dump and he wanted to bring home. Oh, we, he goes, hey, look, we can bring all these home. And he, and he sounded so excited. It's like a five-gallon bucket of... Nuts and bolts, not, good one. Not even like sorted though. It wasn't sorted. I was gonna go <laughs> over and sort them all out. Boy, I was so excited. And Lane, what did I tell you about the dump? He told me it was a place to leave things, not a place <laughs> to take things from. <laughs> right, right. Oh man. Well, well I had uh, just had a guy, uh, Mont Howard, was here, and he said he got a whole sheep system. For a guy that he sold him, and it was all used parts that he had gathered up over the years and was able to put together a whole milking system and saved the guy like $8,000 because he was able to put it all used. So For sheep? some advantage. For yeah, milking sheep. Like that, like you're not joking, right? Like they, like, like Frisian sheeps? Well, they, yeah, they were milking sheep for making uh, sheep cheese and stuff. Well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, it went broken. I told it. <laughs> well, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know if I'd want to be milking a sheep. They're they're just not like cows. Like, they just don't. I don't think it's as easy. It's probably like milking goats. Yeah, it probably would be. Oh, I heard a good one the other day, Sean. I forgot to tell you this. So somebody told me a joke, and I'm going to tell it to you so you can laugh. Okay. Do you know why people milk Jersey cows? Why? They're too poor to buy a Holstein and too proud to milk a goat. (laughs) 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 Yeah, leave it to the feed guy. So we uh, we have an old dude who's older than Lane. Surprisingly, there's people older than Lane. But um, he's at the feed mill here there in Firth, right? And every once in a while, he'll tell me a... He'll tell me a joke like that, and it just cracks me up for days. <laughs> Mort will do that too at the other. Oh yeah, feed yeah, store. Mont, the guy who got—that's yeah. th- who he was talking about. Who found the sheep system for the other oh, guy. Oh okay. Yeah, 
Yeah, we need to get him to come to us rather than us always coming to him. He goes to Sean's house. Do you know that? I didn't. How often does Mont come up? Once a month? Uh, once a month. He was here actually today. <laughs> what does he come out to your place to do? Just go through all your spare parts to see what he can... <laughs> Rummage up. <laughs> Rummage up. <laughs> no, he, he, he uh, supplies the... Uh, all the chemicals, the heat dips, the sprays, uh, mineral lick tubs. Um, you, you have the same dealer the I do. He does that all for us too, <laughs> for my dairy cows. That's where I even got my milker from. So we have the same dealer, Sean. Well, it sounds like we're the last one that he services. Everyone <laughs> else has gone to a different pro- different people. Wow. So, he, so you're the last ones he goes to. Does he drop your yep. wife's chicken feed off when, when she goes out, when you go up? Uh, yeah, she does the, he does the chicken feed, the, um, cat food, dog food, all that kind of stuff. Does he do your calf milk too? Your replacer? Or do you get that somewhere um, else? Uh, IFA brings that up from Utah. I figured it was probably coming from IFA. They, they we get the supplement mix and, uh, calf burk and, Milk powder and stuff in my FA. So, not used to do it. Right. So, Sean, uh, I've got another question for you since you have to feed so many calves all the time. So, me and you were going through some protein solids tests that were done on Wagyu. And they're pretty high. So, I didn't, when I called Sean, I was like, Sean, what does this mean? Because I found some solid tests that were done. Um, so solids are like, can you explain solids in milk real quick, Sean? Um, so they usually do three tests on milk. So I get, always get, every time they sample our milk, we get a fat, a protein, and then other solids. So that's all the lactase and all the other stuff that doesn't fit into those two categories. Um, so on a typical Holstein, they consider average is going to be 3.5% fat, 2.99 protein, and then it's usually about five to five and a half on the other solids. Um, that being said, genetics plays a role in that. Um, our herd's running right around four, six for the fat and three, four for the protein. Jersey's would be about six and a half on the fat and they'll be closer to four on the protein. So what we found was is that Wagyu milk is high in fat and high in protein, but low in quantity from all the stuff that I've, I've collected and asked. And that's kind of the consensus. So Sean, if I was going to use milk replacer on one of these calves, knowing that they need more solids, how would I get that? Like, do they have a solid replacer that has to be put with it? Do they have uh, like, what's, what's my options? Um, well, I guess if you look at the regular protein or the regular mix, they usually have what they call a 20, 20. And so it's, uh, I think it's the 20, 20 fat, 20 protein. I can't remember exactly. You're getting out of my realms. I know. That's why I asked. <laughs> You're going into the feeds and nutrition here. Yeah, and I'm and I'm usually the guy everybody calls for that. That's why I'm I'm, but I'm not I'm not very schooled on calf milk on replacer. 
Well, I happen to be out by my barn. I can tell you. From- yeah, I know. Because well, you said you were trying to get a calf to drink. That's why I was asking. Because I got thinking about. Yeah, it. Yeah, my daughter showed up and helped me out. Yeah, and and here's the big one, guys. Um, there's a lot of wagyu right now that are being bottle fed. Like I don't know if you realize realize this, but that is a common occurrence right now. Because of the low milk production with mama? Yep. Okay. Um, well, and here's something you've got to remember, Lane. She can have low quality, quantity, mm-hmm. as long as her quality is exceptional. Correct. But me and Sean were also talking about this. How long does that quality last? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it two months? Is it... You don't know. So she could have banging quantity and qual- or banging quality up front. And then taper off. And your calf dies. And you don't know why. And essentially, they starve to death. Hmm. It'd be like giving somebody water with no... Just water. We've had one of those. Yes, we We've have. We've had a couple of those. Yes, we have. That's why I'm ask- I asked Sean about this. So, most milk replacers are what they call 2020. Yeah. And so that's a minimum of 20% crude protein and a minimum of 20% crude fat. Right. Per, per bottle, right? Yeah. Well, I guess technically you could mix it up thicker into a paste, but then you got to figure out how to get that calf to, right. to drink it. So, in the measured quantity with the dilution, it, it comes out to that. Of course, you can always. You know, that's how you feed, too, with your right. skimping or really pouring it to them. Do you think a free choice feeder, like the Lily feeders, would be a good good option? The what? The, like, the, like the feeders like you guys are running at the school? Like, would that be a, a highly useful option for these Wagyu calves? Because they're not drinking very much. Because they're not bred to drink much. Because their moms usually have a high-rich milk. Then they, they're kind of like those ones that I have at my house. They just go back and back and back until they get their nutrient requirement throughout the day, right? I think, yeah. I think a lot of problems people have is they feed them once or twice a day and think that's okay and that's all they need. Well, I guess here's the thing with a possibility with the, um, the calf feeders. Uh, they're programmable for how concentrated you want that milk. Correct. Because um, we actually ended up, it was, an error on our part, but, uh, we, we miscalibrated ours and it made it so thick that they couldn't suck it down the straw. The tubing <laughs> to get to the, it was like, paste. like, man, why is the calves all hungry? Yeah. And it was, it was pretty much toothpaste. They were trying to get through. Yeah. We, we, we ended up programming it to be the whole amount of the milk powder that they needed, but it mixes like five times but we were putting the whole amount in one. Oh no. One mixy. <laughs> and so it, it was really thick. Yeah. It was pretty rough then on them calves. I guess yeah, that makes sense. And, and guys, that's the thing. You've got to figure out what works for you. Like right now I've got cows, I've got calves on cows and that works for us. I bought a Lily milk machine so that we can feed like Sean's feeding. Um, once I get a new barn built, so I'm pre-buying my, my stuff that's going into my new barn. Um, should be done in the spring, I'm hoping, right after the, our house construction. So that's what I'm hoping. 
Um, Lane's shaking his head. I know it's coming up in the spring. So I'm I'm getting I'm getting my barn. That's what's coming in my well, spring. It's going to be a little. It may start in the spring. It's right, right. It's not going to be done till midsummer. But it'll probably start as soon as we're done with the house. Yeah. Lane, did you learn something today? I learned a lot of things today. Do you know what I learned today? Tell me what you learned. That we can use a phone. Nice. Now and have extra people come on the show. And it and it worked. It worked really well. Um, there's going to be some edit, not editing, but we're going to have to sound dampen it a touch. But I can do that on here, which I did. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be okay. It sounded good. Yeah, for us. For us. So I figure it'll sound good for whoever's listening. I think so. I don't know. Uh, I, another thing um, I learned today, and, and it's, I pretty much, when it comes to feed and nutrition, it's hard for me to learn new things. Because in the cattle world, feed and nutrition, it's the same thing getting recycled with new material. Right. There's not a lot of new stuff out. Right. But there may be new technologies yeah. in the feeding and a new 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 feeds. New feeds, uh new which 90% of them we can't get, right? Mm-hmm. So and improvements on the old feed just through genetic research, right? Right, right. And and that's what I tell people all the time is um nutrition is is interesting to me. Because it doesn't, the basics never change. But things change that make the industry different. That's why I've always liked nutrition, cattle nutrition especially. But in Sean's world, sometimes things change the entire world. Right? This cut, I'm acting like cutting these straws isn't a big deal. Yeah. You, you, say you bought a straw rusha tomorrow for 20 right. grand. Right. Used to have one chance to use it for twenty grand. Yeah. Now you got three. That's pretty cool. So twenty thousand divided by three is what, Lane? Twenty thousand divided by three. Yep. Six point. So. So you will get instead of spending twenty thousand dollars and getting one flush, you're paying about six thousand fifty. Yeah, sixty five hundred per flush. That's. That's in, that's impressive, and it's going to make some of these older semen or hard to get semen more readily available. Will I do this? No. Um, so I have a standard in my life that I'm willing to go to. AI and ET are probably as far as I'm willing to go. Would I clone an animal? Is another question, and that one's up in the air to me. Um, most likely not. Like, unless there would have to be a very good reason why we're cloning them. Like, it was the only way you to never have horns. Right, Lane? Like, something that's so game-changing that would make me want to go back and clone it. Right? Mm -hmm. But to clone an animal just because you think you need more of them, that's stupid. That's, That's defeating the purpose. And the animal will never be the same. Because you have the nature-nurture deal. Right. So, you know, it'd have to be a dang good reason for me to need to clone an animal. But Sean said something else that's interesting to me. That he, at this point in time, 
is, you know, it's like he said, he can't find somebody to come help him. Can't train the new person. You know, to me, that's wild. Because it's a step up from being a construction worker, Lane. I know, but yeah. Appearances, you tell me, it a lot. Right. Right? Right. And every time I go to Sean's, and I see his long arm up the hind end of that, that cow, <laughs> that... He's got a glove that, on. I, I know, but that image will negate 98% of the oh, yeah. people who would consider it. Right. And it's better work. Really oh, yeah. Better and, and really cleaner than a lot of stuff that they're doing anyway. Right. 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 right? At least it's cow poop. Right? Right. I mean, it's, yeah. No toxic waste. No. no getting but hazardous materials. Inside There's a no- building that's air conditioned and heated. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's pretty good lit working like, environment. Right now, my meat shop is not the most fun place to be. It's cold. It's cold. <laughs> it's cold, but it's supposed to be cold. <laughs> we have little uh, William from Venezuela huddled, huddled, huddled around that little space heater. like yep. Flies <laughs> like a gnat on a freaking light. <laughs> oh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but, but really, you know, that, that's a, that's, it's going to be one of those dying professions. Like, trust me. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it is. And without them, a lot of industry, who cares what breed you're breeding, it's going to affect you. I know I have a friend who, um, well, I'll just say it. So Aaron Hoover tells me all the time that he couldn't find a place within like 200 miles of his house to collect embryos. Hmm. And luckily some little gal moved in, a veterinarian lady moved down a couple, a couple hours away from him. So now she's coming to his place. Right? Yeah. I live 45 minutes from door to door. Yeah. But... And if Sean wasn't here, there'd other people. Right, right. I could go and up and see. Facility, I, I could right? go up and see Rick. I can go. You know. Right. That's what I'm saying, though. We're lucky where we're at. Very lucky. Um, we're in the heart of dairy country, cattle country, and there's these there's these people that have right. these professions. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's the cool part about where we live. As we become more industrialized and more inundated with the California and New York folks, I think we're going to lose some of that. I think you're right. Look how close um, town has come to Sean's house. Yeah. They were way out in the middle of BFE. It's just across the field now. Luckily, they, I think they own that field. Right. right? But it's getting, and they used to live a long ways out of town. They did. Not even that long ago. <laughs> we're talking in five years. When we first started going out there, yeah, how how far those houses have crept towards him. Now it didn't help they built a new high school out there. No, so but yeah. So another thing, Lane. So me and my father in law were talking today. Okay, and um, what do you think his concern for the future is in his profession? And his profession is farmer. Younger farmers getting in. He says that it is almost impossible mm-hmm. for a person to get into farm right now. Mm-hmm. Here's just a prime example, right? Right. So 
150 acres to rent. Let's just say you're going to rent it. It's going to cost you $200 an acre plus power and water and fertilizer. So let's just say we're going to grow a, a hay crop, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll pay about $35,000 in rent, fertilizer, power, and water. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping to get five ton an acre per cutting. Okay. And right now, five ton an acre is worth about $113 a ton. So let's just do a conservative estimate at 100 Okay. So. <laughs> 500 an acre. 500 bucks an acre. It's cost them how much? $35,000. Divided by what? 150 acres? Mm-hmm. So here's the problem, Lane. That's before any depreciation on vehicles or maintenance on machinery. That's just field cost, right? Yeah. So how much money does that cost him per acre? Oh, just just to begin with, you two hundred eight two dollar two hundred an acre. Yep. Plus what? So you're about three hundred and fifty dollars. Thirty. What is it? Thirty five thousand dollars on one hundred and fifty acres mm-hmm. is what it would cost you to farm that for a year. Right, but then you had the extra. Right, that's what I'm saying. Wait, what, what is the extra? You've got fertilizers. Well, that no, that's all into that thirty five thousand. But with the other, they don't any vehicle maintenance. Or machine okay. purchasing or upgrading. Okay. No depreciation. Leases, whatever, yeah. whatever have you. W- whatever you're doing. So no, what it, kind of money are they making there, Lane? Nothing. <laughs> right? Like, like, people don't grasp that. What's 500 times 150? 500 times 150? Yep. Real easy one there for you, man, Lane. I love how he brings out the pencil and paper. I love it. 75,000. 75 grand is what he's going to make total in a year. If everything goes right. Oh, it never does. And that's him getting four cuts of hay. Yep. Right? So this year, we didn't get four cuts of hay. No. And then the hay that we did all got rained on on this crappy hay. So it's worth about $70 a ton now. Yep. So half. (laughs) So... 30, now we're down to 30, now we're down to 32.50. He told me that he's going to be lucky to break even on that field this year. Well, that's what the farmers and ranchers drive to do in this area. They've, how many times have we right. been told that? Right. I can only break even. It's been a good year. Seeing that, it doesn't, that doesn't bring a spot for your son or your kid or it your It doesn't grand- do anything. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't do anything. And how many of these guys do we hear complaining about this all the time? We don't they don't have any money. You know, that's the problem, everybody. Farming isn't a game of big money. There's a lot of farmers that have a lot of money tied up in assets, but I don't know hardly any farmers that have any cash. Do you, Lane? Not a lot of them. Like even when your father in law was farming, he was pretty asset rich and cash poor. Pretty much. You know, and when we say that, we don't mean they're like vagrantly and can't afford food, right? No, no, he, no. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, he had his wallet and, yeah. you know, he, he, he took care of things and he, but he was conservative and he didn't. But he had to be. Spend, he didn't spend wantonly, right? Right, right. And, and that's what everybody forgets. And then they get into Wagyu and they think it's this get, ri- get, ri- get rich quick scheme. Hmm. Right? Yeah. 
and then they go broke and they don't know why. Yeah. There's a lot of charlatans in this business. Steve. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and they're here for three, four years and gone. You've, you've been around long enough now, Lane, that you've seen this. They come, they go, they come, they go. I don't, I don't understand it. It's because there's money involved, right? That's the problem. And Lane gets to see the aftermath of these kind of people. And Lane, how depressed and sad are the people when they get their stuff back and it's not what they were promised? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, well, this is supposed to be Wagyu. This should be marbled a lot better. This should taste a lot better. It certainly shouldn't be tough. I would agree with them. They're not wrong. No, but that's most of the Wagyu or American Wagyu or F1s, whatever you want to call it, come in very deficient. But I think a lot of that's feed. But I think it's feed. I think a lot of it's feed and a lot of it's just not taste poor animal husbandry. And not killing them too early, not letting them develop. Right. Poor feed quality, not enough protein. Um, I don't know. I just... It's odd, ain't it? You ever think I'd be talking about stuff like this eight years ago? I've Steve? had to do a lot of education with poor Lane on why shit don't work. But, 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 but it is, right? Yep. I mean... I think the reason we get some of the big flush numbers we get is because we take care of those things. Our nutrition... Like, genetics. like we, we might peel a cow down 400 pounds, mm-hmm. but we don't do it by starving them. No. You mentioned something interesting a little bit earlier today about cloning. It would have to be some really good reason to clone a cow. I got thinking about that. I'm going, well, how about Delilah, our D4 cow? And then I'm getting to thinking, well, I got Amelia, and now one of her calves, and, and she's looking better. And we would not clone Delilah because we, cause we're past Delilah. A lot of times people end up cloning animals, Lane, because they, they make a very bad decision in life, and they screw their cow herd up. And they need to have a place to go back to. Mm. That, that's one reason I would see cloning being very valuable. Mm-hmm. Because here's the problem. If your cow is not producing better calves than herself, she's not a good cow. I got a pen full of MasterChef daughters from her. That any of them are better than she is. You know, her live calf, Lady Godiva, from her live breed with with Hagrid, is a better... Give her two years to get as big as her mom, but she is a better animal than her mother was. And that's all you can ask for. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's the problem a lot of people have, is they're not willing to... They'll get a cow, and then they'll just rally around this cow for 30 years and you're like, well, where's the improvement? Where's the breed planning? Where's, where's the improvement on your cow? Well, she doesn't need improve. She's the greatest cow. The minute you say that you've lost the game. 
Like I tell people all the time, everybody's like, oh, she, Delilah's a big girl. She's beautiful. She, she's perfect. I go, no, she's not. Trust me. I, I know where her problems lie. But, you know, I know where they're at, and that's why we breed the way we do with her. You know what's something really weird that I've, I've correlated the last couple weeks? Tell me. All of her Kalinga Red Star offspring are not as big as I assumed they would be. And that could be a little bit that I line bred her because that's her, her, uh, her grandsire. Right. It, some of that could be it. Mm-hmm. And then I got talking to Barbara. Okay. Barbara owned Kalinga Red Star. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah, he never started growing until he was like three and a half. Mm. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, what the hell? So I go up and pull birth records. What do you think the average days late from date of... of Expected date of preg- of delivery. How many days late do you think they are, on average? Twenty nine days. So I am anywhere between twenty three and twenty seven days late. I was pretty close. Right, right. Every single one of them. I haven't had a Kalinga Red Star calf born within twenty days of its delivery date ever. That little red bull that we got in there, is that one of... Nope. No, the little one at my house. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The little one. At my house. Is one of those. Uh That's what I'm I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And he's growing good and he's doing good, but he's just not growing as fast as my Master Chef cats. And that's a hard group to be put against, Lane. Right? Like I was telling somebody the other day, I go, if I was born into this herd, I wouldn't want to be born a Master Chef calf. Because they're going to get some really heavy scrutiny and it's going to suck for them because they're that much better than the rest of the calves. So we'll contemporary group them and then pick the ones we want out of the contemporary group, right? And then judge everybody else based off a standard baseline. So are we going to Denver this year? I don't know yet. I haven't made that decision. Whether you make that decision, yes or no. We need Jason get to work on these. Well, that's, that's going to be our, our winter work. So we've got about another week before we can start, because I have stitches I have to pull. That's and, right. Because and, and they just got, the, yeah, just they got, got their, their horns, horns done. done. Um, so we'll be 14 days on Monday, so we can pull stitches on Monday. Okay. And then we have to give them a week, if not two, two. just to make sure we don't split anything open. Yep. They're all going to get halter broke this fall. But... Whether we go to Denver or not, I, I we have another month to decide. Yeah. And like you said, we we need to. I just get don't go on. I just well, and it. the it's like I told you when we did it, right? This is the latest I ever like doing this because it just we need it to heal, and they need it to be warm and nice and capable of doing some other things in order for it to heal up, right? So we'll we'll see. Maybe Denver's in our future. Yeah, so I'll be plenty of Denver's. Right. Well, we're going to leave you with that today, and I hope to see you next week here at What's New in Wagyu. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. You're just as lovely as you used to be. How's your new love? Are you happy? 
Hope you're doing fine Just to know it Means so much to me What's that, darling? How am I doing? I'm doing all right Except I can't sleep I cry all night till dawn What I'm trying to say Is I love you And I miss you And I'm so sorry That I did you wrong Look up, darling Let me kiss you Just for old time's sake Let me hold you In my arms one more time Thank you, darling May God bless you And each step you take To the things you seek to find Goodbye, darling I gotta go now Gotta try to find a way To lose these memories Of a love so warm and true Darling, I'll be waiting.